and welcome to this week's episode of Wade In. We are down a person. We've lost Kevin Blake to Bahrain. It's bye-bye Kevin Blake. Hopefully he will make it back at some point, but who knows when, because at the end of the day, money talks, doesn't it, TC? We've still got you, thank God. You're still with us. How's it going? Yeah, not bad, actually. Well, actually, you're actually quite lucky to have me. I um, I went for a CT scan on Saturday, which probably was a precursor to my terrible punting day. And uh, they were just about to stick the dye in, and my vein collapsed. That he had the uh, he had the catheter in, and that honestly, God, I don't I don't recommend that happening to anybody. God, did it? He said, "Is that hurting?" I said, "No, no, not much." But yeah, they got it back in, and so I'm I'm here to tell the tale. Oh, thank God for that, TC. Give us a worry with stories like that. Luckily, we've got a replacement. Instead of Kevin Blake, we've got the boss man, Barry, all with us. How are you, Barry? It means that I have to feel my best behaviour now that you're actually on a pod with me. Mm, I'm very well. It seems strange not going on mute and knocking my camera off. Yeah, very alien to me. But obviously, Kevin got delayed in uh, in the Middle East, <laughs> Bahrain or Dubai or something got on holy place like that and he's not able to make the show and i did try two other people and both of them were non-runners also so yeah you're stuck with me unfortunately Can you name who turned us down not many people turned me down so who were they well i'll name and shame dan barber oh, he's a terrible person absolute yeah. shocker he's out there today i oh, know dan couldn't do it he's a busy day on a monday reviewing all the all the weekends racing and the other guy I got to do it has been on the show many times before, but he's been away in the UK all weekend. He was watching the NFL last night and he didn't stir till late. So it was a very, very late shout from him. But it would have been a notice he would have done it. Um, no problem at all. So okay, well, look, we'll crack on. We've got week two of first footsteps to the festival to look forward to. We will be looking at the Antipost markets for day two of the big Cheltenham Festival races in due course. But as always, the first section of the show, we look back at the weekend just being on both sides of the English uh, the Irish Sea. Uh, we're going to start off with the Irish action and look at the Triumph Hurdle market because that had a bit of a move with Blood Destiny being moved from 12 to 1 to 5 to 1 after winning at Fairy House by an unchallenged challenged 20 lengths and we've got a few this is going to be a topic as we go through the show tc because um mullins horses bolting up and nobody wanting to get near them seems to have caught a few people's attention specifically this weekend but let's focus in on blood destiny's performance as i say now five to one for the triumph behind stablemate lossy mouth who's the six to five favorite um what are you threatened by Blood Destiny if you're a lossy mouth backer? I suppose is the question. Yeah, I think you have to be. Um, okay. He was um, second to Bo Zenif, the uh, who blew out at uh, who blew out last week, um, and he's only one in France. But he was he was very impressive and a subsequent winner at Cork first time up. After which Willie said, you know, they're going to go down the Grade One route with him. So they they didn't over Christmas, but. He came out here and, and did it really well from the front. Um, like I said, did get out, did get things all his own way, but you had to be impressed. Uh, they closed up on him a bit, two out, and he just went again from, from the last. So, yeah, very impressive. And if you have a look at the form, the form ties in really very, very closely with Lossy Mouth. And uh, just be interesting to see where he goes. I mean, I can, I, like I said, five to one. I think he deserves that kind of price. He's a point bigger on the exchange. Uh, yeah, and it's just a matter of where Willie's going to going to go with them all. I mean, um, he's actually 
in addition to the five to one for the triumph, he's also seven to two third favourite for the Dublin Racing Festival, for the uh, the juvenile race there. But again, with, with the willing domination, the the two are, uh, ahead of him in the betting there are uh, Lossy Mouth and Gala de Masso, who uh, they were one two at uh, over Christmas as well. So yeah, massively impressed by him. Uh, I think five to one is a realistic reassessment of his price. He was thirty threes immediately after that court win. Right, uh, but uh, yeah, he's, he's he's also come tumbling down. Uh, Simon Curry sent us a question actually, which I'll just read out as I throw to you, Barry, because it is of interest. He says, "We all thought Fasal Vega and Lossy Mouth were looking good things last week, and all of a sudden they look like they have formidable challengers from the same stable in the form of Blood Destiny and Impair at Pass." Uh, have your thoughts changed on these particular races? I guess the point is with the Triumph market. For me, it's always a bit different to the Supreme, let's say, because you know, with the three turning four-year-olds, they develop all the time. They take step forwards dramatically um, in a very short space of time for me. I'd love to know the stats on who the favourite for the Triumph Hurdle is on New Year's Day each year versus who goes off favourite in March. Because for me, it's it's an, it's a, those horses just can really, like I say, take big steps forward, I guess, on what we may have seen of them last year versus the first few months of this year. Yeah, well, obviously, Lassie Mate was favoured on New Year's Day, and if she rocks up to Cheltenham, she looks she's sure to go off favoured. Obviously, the Dublin Racing Festival will have a big pointer, but she's a two-to-one on chance to beat Blood Destiny should they meet at the Dublin Racing Festival. Blood Destiny is a seven-to-two chance. He's a seven-to-two chance now for the Triumph. Early was five, but they've revised the market again this morning. Lassie Mate's gone from six to five out to eleven to eight, so there has been a bit of movement in that market. But Blood Destiny, you know. The horses in behind them in Fairy House on Saturday, I think they're all Boodles horses. I think that's probably a fair assessment. And they'll be getting marks. They'll be, their trainers be hoping to get marks in the high 130s or there or thereabouts. And it'll set them right for the Boodles, especially Nuzrat. He was the one that went into my notebook. He pulled quite hard, hated the ground. And he's one to look out for with a nice mark in the Boodles. But yeah, I, I, I take the Blood Destiny form on Saturday with a pinch of salt. Um, having said that, he's a very, very good horse. It'll be interesting to see how the stable sort them out and if they take each other on the Dublin Racing Festival. Hopefully they do. Personally, I don't think it will happen. Okay, interesting. Let's move on. Um, let's look at a bit of the English action. Pick Dory notched up a third win this season. It's three out of three for the Paul Nichols team when taking the Sylvian Arco Conti chase um, on Saturday. Uh, he's only an eight-year-old. I feel like he's a much older horse, but he is only an eight-year-old. And he's finally got his jumping act together, Barry. Is this the season from your discussions with Nichols that they thought they'd have with this horse this year? Yeah, he's he's a horse that's kind of, he is short of just top class, isn't he? I think Harry Cobden said when he was being led back on Saturday that he's six pounds below grade one, but he's a real top grade two horse. Now he's going to go to the Beffer Ascot Chase in February, uh, the entries for that are out tomorrow week um, and potentially could be taken on Siskin there over that two and a half mile, two mile five, just an extended two mile four. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on and then a possible tint at, a tilt at the Ryanair. Um, having said that, you know, he could go to the Ascot chase and win impressively, but you'd be asking the question about Siskin, like what has he beat if he does that? And Ryanair, I think, will be a step too far for him as well. I, I think that is his class, that grade two. And if they keep him to it, they'll they'll win plenty of nice prize money between them and the end of the season. 
TC, they basically kept him away from Cheltenham in his career so far. He's had that one uh, pretty average run there thus far. If they do take him back to the Ryanair, he's a 14 to 1 shot after winning the Sylvian Arco Conti from 25s. Um, but I don't, I mean, I'm with Barry. I think, you know, he's he's going to be caught out at that sort of grade one level, championship level, isn't he? Yeah, very possibly. But if you look at the Ryanair, I mean, we don't know whether Alaho's going to turn up. The second favourite for that market, uh, we'll come on to a bit later on, we'll touch on him, is Blue Lord. Uh, so it's it's crying out for a, a contender, that uh, that Ryanair. And like you say, one thing at the weekend did did show that he can do it on very deep ground, uh, which was all which was always a concern about him. It was the concern about him going into that race. So yeah, I mean, like I said, some horses in there clearly didn't underperform, but he looks to be a 160, 160 plus horse now. And you know, he was, he's gonna have to go to those grade one races. Uh, back over to Ireland and let's have a look at Flamebearer, who won another very uncompetitive race at Ferry House, won by nearly 40 lengths, having made that horrific mistake at the last under Paul Townend. Another for Team Mullins. He's now 16s from 33s for the Arkle Barry. Um, he's a big enough price and deserves to be really. Obviously, he was beat on chasing debut, but I think they did say he tied up that day. So this was much more like it. But again, a race where it's very hard to take the form, literally, because you do get the impression, as have plenty of our listeners have put forward questions and tweets about that not entirely sure many of them wanted to be too near Flamebearer, even at any point in the race. Yeah, again, he got a solo up front, untouched throughout. Just made that mistake at the last, a very bad mistake, but he was completely unchallenged. Obviously, they got him from Pat Doyle. He disappointed, well, not that he disappointed in his first run, but he was always going to come on for that first run. Having said that, he was sent off at a 15 to 8 on that day as well. So someone expected him to win, but he came on a ton for the run, you'd have to say. It'll be interesting to see where they go next with him. Obviously, when Pat Doyle had him, and he was only seven lengths off statement in the in the top novice uh, in Punchestown. Um, and you'd have to think, will he, you know, get the best out of him over fences? So I think he's a horse definitely going in the right direction for the Arkle. Obviously, you know, you could back a lot worse at around the 14 to 1 mark each way in the Arkle market at the moment. Obviously, John Bond is short in there and Willie has a couple of others as well. But this is a horse definitely going in the right direction, albeit we don't know what the format's up to from Saturday. Okay, so sort of same comments slightly apply as with the four-year-old hurdler as well in terms of blood destiny that like these big distance wins, yeah, just I can't really take it. I can't get too excited about them at this point anyway. And Tony, it's probably worth bringing in the topic of conversation in regards to these uncompetitive races due to these very short price Willie Mullins runners and them getting a freebie in front, winning by any distance they like. We've had loads of... um, Tweets about them. The casual gambler got involved asking, wouldn't it be great if all these Mullins novices were in different yards? They could take each other on. It's becoming boring now. David Jackson has asked, with Ireland having most of the best horses and most of the best horses being in one stable, is anyone else getting bored of all the uncompetitive novice races in Ireland this season? Um Mahak has asked, are other jockeys not allowed to finish within 10 lengths of a Mullins favourite? Flamebearer and Blood Destiny had no rival interest in getting involved, getting close to them. Um, and it sort of goes on and on. Gareth, Sam Maguire and Phil Richards have all asked very similar questions yeah. um, on the similar topic. 
I'm a big, we had this discussion quite recently. I don't think there's anything. I think we're going around in circles. We're not going to be able to cap how many horses Willie Mullins can have in training. And it's not Willie's fault. He's much better than the rest. Well, not much better, but it's not Willie's fault that he gets sent the best horses and he's the best trainer in the country. So we were in this situation. Is there a solution or do we just have to take it, TC? No, there isn't. I mean, obviously there's, obviously there's too many races at Cheltenham as well, as we touched on before. You know, Barry mentioned Flame Bearer, you know, 14s for the Arkle, and that's Willie's fifth string. <laughs> you know, and he's 14 to 1. You've got the like appreciate it, El Fabiolo, San Juan, uh, Dice Art Dynamo. Nice. And, you know, and, and, you know, Flame Bearer, for example, has got, you know, she, uh, that can go back up in trip to two mile four as well. It's, you know, it's not, and, you know, we've mentioned Blood Destiny. You know, the favorite for the Boodles is a certain Blood Destiny at nine to one. It's kind of like, it's it's madness, Cheltenham trying to you know trying to trying to get their right races as much as as much as a challenge as actually trying to find the winner. But yeah, I mean, look, there's no solution to it. Uh, you can't cap numbers. Uh, you know, a lot of them in different ownership, uh, and he does race a lot of them uh, against each other. And hopefully, we're we'll seeing at a Dublin Racing Festival, we'll be able to you know to you know to kind of like iron out you know, what the pecking order is. I mean, you mentioned, you know, Blood Destiny and the Triumph and how that's a how that's a movable feast, the Triumph Hurdle. I mean, in recent years, we haven't seen the Triumph Hurdle win until that um, that Kempton meeting in late February, the likes of Zar Kander, you know, rocking up there and winning the Triumph three weeks later. So the Triumph is, like I said, can change a lot, but I don't think the in likes of the Arkham and stuff is going to change dramatically. I like I like this question from Sam Maguire. You can both answer this. Sorry, I should have read this one out in this discussion. Would you rather have a 30-runner maiden hurdle at Punchestown where only four can realistically win or a four-runner maiden hurdle at Fontwell that all have a chance of success in? Well, Sam, for me, I'd go for the four-runner maiden hurdle at Fontwell because all four of them are there to try and win. And ultimately, I want to watch racing where the full field, whether it be four or 30, want to win the fecking race. Don't you agree, Barry? Depends if you're a backer or a lair, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. 30-runner maiden Earl now, you wouldn't want to be laying a short one in that because it's invariably jiggers to the front, everything else out the back. But uh, a competitive heat, four runners in Fontwell could uh, could be a little bit tricky. But yeah, everyone wants to see competitive racing, don't they? A lot of the time in those big field maiden hurls, there's just so many horses in Ireland and horses get balloted out all the time as well so when you've got a chance to run them you have to really you know and a lot of those horses realistically they're going to be handicappers and they're just looking to find their level um, and they have to run them in maiden hurls and, and so on to, to be able to achieve a mark from the handicapper so it's a necessary evil a lot of the time what about you tc which would you prefer neither <laughs> you know that was coming, yeah. Misery. Um, go on, go and be miserable about Grey Dawning. You can have him next. He obviously won the Leamington Novices uh, at the weekend. Another good Saturday for the Skelton team, which will come to in due course. But this was one of their big winners at Warwick. Just mm. a really progressive type. Is a shorter price for the Albert Bartlett than um, anything. At, well, yeah, I mean, he's 16s for the Albert Bartlett from 33s and he's 25s for the Ballymore. They have flagged up the Albert Bartlett as the race 
race they think that they will go to for him. Also making the point after the race, which thought was interesting that, you know, he's not a horse that necessarily needs it as heavy as the going was at Warwick at the weekend. You know, he will be a horse that can operate on better ground. So taking all that into consideration, um, is he a horse that you'd be looking at for a bigger race later on in the year? Later on? Uh, the season? Not necessarily. I mean, I, I'm not sure about that race on Saturday, but I mean, his previous win only came off a mark of 123 at Kempton. And he was a gamble landed that day, wasn't he? It was, yeah. I, I actually I laid it all the way down to five to four, actually. I actually did my nuts that on him that day. I thought he was far too short. And he, like I say, he's quite a quirky sort, but, you know, he did very little wrong there. I thought the runner-up, Ginny's Destiny, travelled really well throughout the race. And maybe that one would be get a lot closer to him if they met again on better ground. But... As regards to Albert Bartlett, no for me. It's interesting when Dan referenced that that race afterwards. He said uh, maybe they'll look at the Albert Bartlett or maybe they'll duck it and go to Aintree. You know, yeah. maybe maybe the Liverpool route might be the way to go. But the Albert Bartlett, as with um, as with a few of the novice races, chases and hurdles, it's obviously very very open at the moment, and they may go there. And they've got an improving horse. Yeah, he is an improver. I mean, I, I know what you're saying. I know what TC's saying, Barry, in regards to the mark that he won off. And they obviously, they punted him as if he was a sure thing that day. But he has got quite a progressive profile for a race like the Albert Bartlett. Yeah, he certainly has. And it's a wide open contest, the Albert Bartlett. Uh, obviously, you know, it's 11 to 2 to field. Hidden Valley Lake is in there at 11 to 2. It's just your favourite at the moment. But out of all the novice serves, obviously, it's the most open in terms of betting. Um, he's a horse that's going the right direction. He was brave when he came between runners. He, he, it was a bit of a war of attrition to race, wasn't it? On bottomless ground, it's going to leave its mark. I'd say that's why Dan was waiting to see, get him home. And obviously in the next couple of weeks, make a shout on Cheltenham or, or training for Aintree. So yeah, you wouldn't just be piling in in the anti-post market at the moment off the back of those comments, but definitely a horse to keep on the right side of. Okay, what about Gallia de la Toe, who obviously won also at Warwick, making it a big race double, a grade two double. Um, obviously, she's been a market mover off the back of that for the Mayor's Chase. She's now 14s from 33s, but also we had Impervious um, putting up another impressive display in her new colours over in Ireland. So she's now six to four from three to one in the same race. So we'll tackle the race as a whole, Barry. Um I really like Gallia de Lato. Um, for me, I think people, I think she should be, I think she's a, I think she's a value price for this race. They obviously think plenty of her. I know that she probably might need the ground with a bit of cut in it, but I, I like her. I, I was impressed with her. Yeah, yeah, she did nothing wrong. She's a, she's a game mare without a shadow of a doubt. But if you ask me between the two of them, her and Impervious, Jenny, I was really impressed with Impervious um, win yesterday. In the uh, in the Grade Three in Punchestown, you know she was given a pound to the winner, obviously, or to the runner-up. Obviously, she she's uh, she'd be getting seven pounds off off the geldings, but uh, the terms of the race saw her give a pound to Journey with me. Manila Cooner was a uh, was like beaten out of sight. Now, obviously, he wants to step up in trip, but Impervious was hands and heels win under Brian Hayes, obviously. Just recently purchased by JP McManus and got 22 grand back um, out of the, the prize money. So she's really a mare going in the right direction. I'm with the right man. He's a great talent for training mares and he's, he's trained some magnificent mares in the past, not least uh, Voler Levadette, who TC will be very familiar with. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we got a question, TC, on Impervious. Uh, Richard Hogan asked, is Impervious a, can- a, a credible candidate in either the Arkle or the Turners? She'd be getting £7 from the Geldings, but would need to be supplemented for either race. I mean, my belief is that they are mares chase bound, but I guess... Um, just as a discussion point, how would she rank in those races against the Geldings getting this getting the sex allowance? Do you think it sounds like um, the trainer is going to be led by the owner and it's and, and the owner's connections? It's it's interesting actually because if you look at that Turner's at the moment, yeah, it's not a great deal in it and at the moment. We don't obviously we don't know you know if horses are going to go for the Arkle or whatever. And um, Shad Love won the a mare won the. The, well, the now Turners, then JLT, won the, Shattered Love won the won the uh, JLT at uh, in 2018. So there has been some recent um, some recent examples of, of mares going to that race and winning it. So, and obviously getting seven pound there um, could well be if it's going to be a year to do it. It's going to be going to be this year, and you know that that mares chase could be quite quite lively this year as well. Even though look, I think at the time of Time of recording now. She's she's three point four second favourite behind Ella Gory Devassi. So yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, be a brave shout if they go they go uh, Turners with uh, with that sex allowance. Yeah, I, I could see that. The Mayor's Chase can be a spicy little event, isn't it? I know it's one that not everyone's a fan of, but it could be a very competitive event if want those near the top of the betting show up. Because yeah, I, I mean I like a load of types in here. Kevin Sweet on Scarlet and Dove, isn't he? Yeah. Were you sweet on Scarlet and Dove? I was at one stage, but I'm, I can flip and flop by the time we get there. <laughs> a fickle type. No, I can see Kev's real case for Scarlet and Dove and obviously um, the race she ran last year. I know I can see that she's probably a solid bet at the moment, but um, with the likes of the names that we've just been talking about and the mare at the top as well and the skeleton horse. I don't know. It's just it's going to be plenty competitive. It won't be, it won't be a big field, but you've got the likes of Zambella in there. It looks a, oh, yeah. a largely improved horse this year as well. Yeah. Loads. What about the mare's hurdle then? It's all about the mare's. West Balboa is now 33s for it from 50s, having won the Lanzarote at Kempton TC, where, um, I mean, it's very rare. I'm often on course at Bangor or somewhere like that. And I'll say that a four-runner race sort of fell apart when two fell and one got pulled up type of job. It's very rare that you'd say that the Lanzarote sort of fell apart as a race, but it really did. And my God, there's been a lot of comment about the ground at Kempton as a result because horses just were not getting through it on the day. Only four finishes from 20 runners in a handicap hurdle like that. It's pretty astounding, isn't it? Well, some of the horses in that in that Lanzarote just weren't going from, but, you know, after two or three flights. And it's not even just that they, you know, plenty of those horses in there were expected to go well on heavy enough yeah. ground. So it wasn't even like they were good ground horses and they were running on heavy ground. Loads of them in there were expected, like, had the form to go on that sort of ground, yeah, but well, there was something about it. Well, we mentioned on race, Racing Only Better that, you know, I, I mentioned that the, the the going sick reason suggested it was soft in name only, uh, and I think uh, Jim McGrath, your Sky Sports Racing colleague, tweeted on Saturday morning that the going stick readings for the hurdles course were the lowest that you know they've been since 2017, and again that didn't tally with the soft ground, and it was it was just madness, wasn't it? I mean, I actually counted them. There was eleven that actually turned into the straight. At Kempton, and it's not a long straight, is it? 
and, mm-hmm. and obviously only four finished. And the horses went from travelling like Outlaw Peter looks a real threat turning in, and that I oh know that was unproven on the ground, but that just went out like a light, and just a lot of them just stopped. But as I said, after two three hurdles, you knew. I mean, I I backed a heavy ground winner at Exeter, Exeter heavy ground winner Dubrovnik Harry, and I know that might not have been disadvantaged by racing around the inside. But he was beat after three flights. I mean, and, it, and there was loads like that. You got horses like pulling up, you know, after after four or five flights. It was, it was, it was madness. Yeah, very strange race to watch, really, uh, Barry. And obviously, a slight, well, not a surprise winner was she really? But you know, she was, she wasn't exactly one of the big talking horses going into it. But we should give Bridget Andrew Andrews credit because a big day for her. And she deserves it. She's obviously hardworking, part of the skeleton team, picks up rides like this when Harry's not around, and she gets the job done. Yeah, she really did. Yeah, I felt sorry for young Freddie uh, Gingell on the second who just got touched off. It would have been a great win for him. It would have been the biggest win, obviously, of his fledgling career. And, you know, he'll have plenty of short heads go his way in, in time, but was given way to the winner and, you know, that was a good run from the second. He'll be put away now. I think that the key to, to that one is is running fresh. But uh, yeah, she she's she really ploughed through it. She was she was one of the four that seemed to handle the ground. And I don't know how much stock you put in that form, though, really, considering it was such an attritional race. Yeah. No, fair enough. And skeletons again. I mean, I know um they haven't like it's not like the yard as a whole is in red, 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 red hot form. But when it comes to these Saturdays, we're talking about the skeletons again taking these big races at two different tracks. And it does have a feel of the sort of Nichols vibe from what was it about a decade ago now, where I think one season it was like every Saturday, the big races went Paul Nichols's way. And now his ex-assistant um, Dan and Harry Skelton, obviously sort of following in very similar footpaths. It feels like a bit, Barry. Yeah, it is. It's good to see actually as well. You know, they have a very good relationship to two of them. Even still, they talk regularly you know, and they're 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 very close friends. So, yeah, it's good to see. There's a lot of owners in in Dan's yard who also have owners in Paul's yard as well. And, um, you know, it's a good, healthy, competitive edge with, between two friends. So nice to see. And there'll be short heads go the other way throughout the season as well. I'm sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what about Sam Thomas? He had an excellent day on Saturday. I was quite emotional about it as well. Post-race interviews. I will do it as being introduced for 20, uh, 25 to 1 for the Grand National. Um, he's, you know, did the, it's a pretty impressive training performance from Sam to get him back after winning the Welsh National, obviously being off the track a long time. And then he comes back and wins what was a bit of a war of attrition at Warwick. Um, Sam sort of played it down by saying this horse gets himself fit at home, et cetera, et cetera. But I still applaud these sort of efforts from a trainer because I just know it's not straightforward with a horse like him. And um, to get him to come back and put up that performance, he, he routed them, didn't he, TC? Yeah, um, obviously they were out of luck with a with Angel's breath um, at, at Kempton, yeah, a massive layoff. But but this one worked out. I mean, he missed the Welsh National, which, which he's won before. Um, wasn't ready in time for that. So obviously the extra two weeks has, has worked the oracle, and he did actually gag. I mean, the problem is with the Grand National, he won that off 147. Even though the middling margin was two and a half lengths in the end, you think he's probably going to go up the thick end of seven pounds for that. Yeah. 
and it was so if he is going to go to Aintree, it's quite refreshing to see rather than you know being wrapped up in cotton wool over hurdles beforehand. You know, some of these. Well, he's going to need to run again, though, isn't he? That's the yeah. whole point. Is he's not qualified yet yeah. to run, so he has to run another time. Yeah. Yeah. So be- yeah, so like you said, he's um, he is <clears throat> really going to be up against it if he. Uh, well, it depends what they do with him there, obviously. But yeah, it was a good performance. And like I said, the another feature of the race is just how well uh, Mister Incredible ran. Um, that that shaped for all the world, like you know. If he gets him, if they keep him right and going forward to entry, he he could be a contender there. He was a massive late gamble for the race. I mean, he went off at eight to one, but they he returned at a bet for SP of six point six, which is basically two and a half points under the industry SP. And you never see that. It was a really late gamble. Took everyone by unawares on on the TV, etc. Because, like I said, it was a really late bet fair punt. Um, I, but yeah, obviously you- they've got the connections. You know, very shrewd connections, owner and trainer. So you know that's injured. That that stuck on really well. But he's a he's a quirky sort. But if they can keep him right and build on that run, Mister Incredible's interesting. Maybe he did but, look quirky, didn't he? I think they've intimated that it could be Patrick's ride for the Kim Muir. Right. Potentially, yeah, that's where he go next. But uh, I will do it. Um, interestingly, obviously needs to run again to qualify for the Grand National. And he's in the Grand National betting on the sports book. But if he didn't qualify for whatever reason, I'm sure that they'll refund yeah. stakes on, on him. Yeah. I think I can see him running him again and get he must be a fragile sort though. I think he must be, yeah. And it would like definitely I was intrigued listening to Sam when he was saying, you know, he gets himself fit at home on the gallop, so they'd have to do loads with him. So, you know, he's he's obviously has got his own physical issues that keep him away from the track because um clearly he is a horse who yeah like once once he's in training he, he gets himself quite fit they also had dear mark um win down at kempton the handicap hurdle down there sam thomas's team tc and he's now 25s from 50s for the betfair hurdle he should sneak in at the bottom he won off 119 and sam saying that you know he's got plenty of speed and that a big field betfair hurdle would suit him um he if he was to line up i mean i don't know what his new mark will be what one two well he'll go I would up. imagine given the manner of the victory I mean, 123 got you in the bet for the hurdle last year I think yeah. you'll probably be needing a few more pounds to get into it this year right uh, last year was you know particular I don't know if it even filled last year um so yeah I mean that was but that he'll was, go up to one two six one two seven no, I, I don't well you one by a length and a half uh and I know he won it really well so yeah maybe we'll get kind of like six or seven pounds for that uh, that's they couldn't go much higher than that, but he won it really well. And the feature of that horse is they they worked out how to ride him. Yeah, he traveled really well throughout the race, and then he pressed the button as late as possible after the last. Yeah, I I was quite taken by that, and I think there's plenty more to come. And yeah, uh, if they are going to Newbury, um, then obviously um, they're going to be off higher mark in a much much deeper race. But yeah, but the way he travels. I know it's a bit of a cliche. The horses that travel strongly run two miles, big field, could well be ideal for it. Yeah. I, I mean, those low 120s get you in, like 123 TC, like you said last year. In in 2020, 124. In 2019, 125. They were the bottom weights. So, yeah, you, you should get in. Okay. Although it's a massive entry this time around. And uh, the weights are out on, is it Wednesday? Wednesday the 18th. Yeah, yeah the weights are out. So, watch out for that. Intriguing, intriguing. I think. See yeah. what Mark Gaelic Warrior gets. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll come on to him in a, in a moment when yeah. we do the Ballymore footsteps. 
Yeah, well, in fact, we are nearly there. Do you want to give a quick mention to the Bumble Horse, Westport Grove, Barry, 10s from 20, short prize, Willie Mullins, Patrick Mullins, bumper winner on debut. All a little dull, isn't it? You should be telling us about this with your Patrick connection. I don't I don't have I don't have a Patrick connection and I have no idea about this horse, Westport Grove. <laughs> Nor me. He's no. sloshed in in the in the bumper in Fairy House, but it turned in. He he was quite keen actually and, and, and he sprinted clear in the last furlong and a half or so. But yeah, it's just a minefield that race, isn't it's, it? I did, but he, if you look at the form, the, the second had you know had decent form and he started odds on and he beat it well enough, but who knows where it sits in the pecking order? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Actually, well, he has too many horses, doesn't he? Yeah, apparently so. That's what they keep telling me anyway. Uh, let's move on to week two of Footsteps in the Festival, guys. Um, we are going to be looking at day two at this stage. This is week two, day two, anti-post look at the Cheltenham Festival. Just the big races, the Ballymore, the Brown Advisory and the Champion Chase are going to come under the microscope with you two. Let's kick off with the Ballymore. Uh, one of the more wide open novice, of, well, one of the bit more wide open events betting wise really of the week. We haven't got a really, really, really short price favourite in here. We've got five to two Hermes Allen, six to one Champ Kylie, six to one Gaelic Warrior, the aforementioned Gaelic Warrior, six to one from eight to one impair at pass for the Willie Mullins team again nine to one Fasal Vega obviously should run in the Supreme uh, we expect to see him line up in the Supreme Grange Clare West disappointed for the Mullins yard when we last saw him he's 12s in the pocket at 12s Irish point for Gordon at 14s 16s bar that in the Ballymore I want to take on Hermes Allen and I don't know what with Barry or why do you want to take him on I, I just, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not, and no, not, not really his price. Well, his price, yeah, but more. I haven't been completely in love with him so far. I don't know. There's just something about him. I think he's still a work in progress, but I expect there to be something classier than him on the day at Cheltenham. But what that horse is, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think anyone really does because they brought him to Stratford to win a maiden hurl and he absolutely danced in there, obviously. But like Nichols has said all along, he shows them absolutely nothing at home. Just like compare on past that one yesterday, another horse, Paul Townend said, shows them absolutely nothing at home. But when they get to the race course, they just come to life. And that has to be a good trait. That, that's yeah, there's nothing positive. wrong with that trait. There's nothing wrong with that. That's probably a positive. I, I yeah, a lot, a lot of people love that kind of. But yeah, it has to be a positive really, doesn't it? And he's done nothing wrong. He's tree for tree now over hurts. He was a, an expensive purchase. You know, he's, he's definitely a horse going in the right direction. I know where you're coming from, though. These horses aren't bought to be hurdlers. They're bought to be chasers. And that's the key to them. He's a six-year-old now. This is his hurling campaign. After this, regardless of what happens, he's going over fences next year. You know, he's he's going to go all favoured on the day if all things being equal. Champ Kylie, even if he rocks up here, he's not going to get the soft lead that he got in the Lawlers and Nacy, he, he really got a solo there to a certain extent. Gallic Warrior, Empire on Pass, Facile Vega. Again, you're just playing Willie Mullins bingo, aren't you? Like he, he could potentially go Facile Vega here and Empire on Pass to the to the Supreme or vice versa. I don't think both of them are going to run in the Supreme. Uh, one horse that I do like, I give a big chance to at around the 12 and 14 to one mark is in the pocket for Henry de Bromhead, JP's horse. Was really impressed with his couple of wins, especially last day in Nice. Now they missed the last two flights, but 
if anything, that's probably an inconvenience to him because he's 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 quick and accurate over his hurls. He got to the front, he just idled a bit, he had a good look around. Well, he's a horse that's definitely going in the right direction uh, with the right yard too. And at, at this stage in time, two mile five in the Ballymore in the pocket, I think he's virtually certain to go there. He's not going to revert back to two miles and he's not going to step up the tree in the Albert Bartlett. So you're, you're, your, your first part of the bet is you have to get the horse that's going to run in the race. And I think in the pocket's going to run here. I think at 12 to one each way could be a decent each way shed. Okay. Okay. Don't mind the case made for him then. Um, as I think the horse I'd probably pick out is Irish Point. I know he's got to reverse the form with Champ Kylie uh, from the Lawlers at Nace, but given what we know about the lead Champ Kylie got, Danny Mullins from the front, et cetera, et cetera, the um, omitted hurdles, I don't think helped Irish Point on the day. I know they think plenty of him. Um, he'd be a horse maybe just reading out that betting He's got that form with um, Marine Nationale as well, who we obviously expect to be in the Supreme, but I think that should stack up to be a decent form line. At 14's TC, if I had to pick one at the moment, I think he's probably the way I'd go versus uh, definitely the likes of Champ Kylie, for example, at the price comparison as well, and Grange Clare West. I think Irish Points probably represents a little bit of value, but it's a tentative old pick for me. I think it'd have to be tentative, but... If I use mine, I'd probably be looking back to going back to two miles with him. Would you? Uh, yeah, I think he, he travelled quite right really well last time, and I know the winner pulled out more. Um, yeah, I he did nothing wrong over two miles previously, did he? So yeah, I mean, I look at that Supreme, and there's not a lot of depth to it, and that's why they might be tempted to go to the Supreme with you know Imper and Passe after what well, well that did rather than come here, but obviously Imper and Passe's. The second favourite for the Ballymore. Um, like you said, we don't know what Willie's going to do, do we? Uh, they got Gaelic Warrior in here, but you know he's in the he's in the Clonmel and the Munster Hurdle tomorrow. I think he's sixes on for that Gaelic Warrior, and that's over two miles. So, and obviously he's got an entry in the bet for Hurdle. So where are they going to go with uh, Gaelic Warrior? Um, Willie immediately after the festival last year, he actually mentioned the Ballymore, and I do know. You know, the Ballymore is the way they were leaning with Gaelic Warrior at the start of the season. Whether or not that's changed, I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, Hermes Allen, I can I can get it. I mean, I think people are just looking back to, you know, the Chalo Hurdle winners of recent years and, and damning with faint praise there. But I'm not even sure he will go off favourite on the day. Um, I mean, mate, you know, if Imperapassi goes 2-0-4, I can see him vying for favouritism. Uh, obviously, Gaelic Warrior, we don't know what he's going to do. I mean, I looked at the race and I come to these kind of like things first because I don't normally bet at Cheltenham much. And but so when I look at these races, I, I just go through all the, the entries and what I think it can be. There's one one horse that's Betfair Sportsbook a standout price about, and that's Good Land of Barry Connell's at twenty five to one. Now that was very impressive. I've just checked it, and he's still twenty fives because they are some firms which lowest fourteens. Um, Really impressive at Leopardstown last time over two mile four. I know it's a big step up in class, but I think he's going to go to the Dublin Racing Festival and maybe see what he's got there. And I like the fact that Barry Connell's got uh, at least one other good horse, um, obviously Marine National. And not, presumably, you know, they work together. And I like that when they got good horses to work with, it brings them forward. So I think he, I think he might know what he's got with good land there. And he's also got another good horse that finished. I don't think it was off a yard when it was second to Hunter's Yard, Quirk's Gate, something like that. Um, 
But yeah, I think Barry Connell's got three decent kind of lightning of his hurdlers, and I think good land at 25s. If you are looking for an outsider who could come forward and shorten dramatically, I think he he might be the one in the market. I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a really tricky race at the moment. But like I said, if you are looking to chuck a few quid at one at a big price, who could shorten dramatically, or you could be out with the washings if he runs badly. Good land is the one. Okay. That Tattersall's novice hurl at the Dublin Racing Festival, if even half of them rock up to that, that's going to be the most informative race, really. You you probably shouldn't have a bet in in either the Supreme or the, mm. or the Ballymore ahead of one before, before that race is run. It's, well, like I said, but, you know, chicken here, yeah, I mean, if you are, if you do wait, you're going to be taking a, a massive shortened price about, about the impressive winner. And it tells you everything you need to know about the race. Is that Fasal Vega for the Ballymore is the fifth favourite on the exchange for the Ballymore. You know, it's, they could well switch. And remember Sir Gerhard last year, winning winning grade ones over two miles, rocks up for the Ballymore, wins there. Um, yeah. And the, the firm who are betting non-one-and-no bet make Fasal Vega the five-to-four favourite for the Ballymore. So that tells you the potential yeah. for market carnage if they do say Fasal Vega, no, we'll leave. Let Moscow fly when it go there. Huh. We'll go up to two mile five with Fasal Vega. So anything could happen. And the same rules are going to apply, I'm afraid, listeners and viewers to the Brown Advisory Novices Chase over the three miles and half a furlong. This is almost worse than the Ballymore in terms of horses that won't show up here. Gaylord de Manil is currently the top price up at the top of the market at what price is he? He is six to one, is he? Uh, yeah. But obviously, he's expected to go up over the further trip. Nov- second season, novice, got all the experience, but is a much shorter price for the um, for the amateurs race, essentially. Then you've got Jerry Kalaman here at 7-1, to one, the real whacker 7-1, to one, uh, Time Hill 7-1. to one. At least you know that the likes of Time Hill are actually going to show up here. Yeah. Classic Getaway is 10s, James de Burley is 10s, uh, Bally Griffin Cottage 14s, Gentleman's Game, the same sort of price. Um, a mess of an anti-post race again. I don't want to just keep saying it, but it does feel a bit like that. But at least just for me, like I was looking down and yeah, Time Hill, now he's got his act together. All fingers crossed, at least he's going to show up here. He's a proper grade one horse over hurdles. And if he can remain with his act together over fences, then he'll be a formidable opponent in this, I think, up against a load of horses like Jerry Colom should show up. But James de Burley, could easily go over the shorter trip. Classic getaway, who knows, with that horse. As I say, Gaylord de Manil over further. Uh, Chemical Energy's in there as well. Journey with me beats at the weekend. Um, where where, where would you, where did you start when looking at it, Barry? Oh, I don't fancy... Never mind where you started, sorry. Where did you end, more importantly? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't fancy Gaylord de, de Mesnil. Uh, I just thought that race fell apart in... In Leopard Stand, like, am I right on Seated Rider? Tree's life had a, a fatal fall. It took him all his time to master Churchstone yeah. Warrior. Uh, and for me, Churchstone Warrior, a solid enough horse, like ran well in, in, in grade one hurls last year, but he's rated 135 over hurls. I just can't have Gallard de, de Mesnil, although, you know, he's put up some really good... either. <laughs> <laughs> he's put up some really good performances in defeat but not for me Jerry Colum is going the right direction two for two really impressed with his win in the Faheen if I had to have a bet in it now he'd be my pick without a shadow of a doubt okay strong enough for you on the unbeaten Gordon Elliott horse then uh, what about you TC 
it's interesting that immediately after Jerry Colomb's win last time, he actually referenced the National Hunt Chase. That's what that's the kind of stuff that you're dealing with here. Um, I've actually had a bet in this race. Um, oh my god! And it's not with Betfair prices. I have backed Gayard de Manil, non-runner money back at four to one each way. Lordy, um, Lord, your I think if he comes here, he's the absolute standout. And I, I take Barry's point that he wasn't overly impressive in the, the grade one at Leopardstown last time. But I'm not judging on that. I'm judging on the, the run first time out over an inadequate two-mile four um, against Mighty Potter. Uh, you know, he travelled. I think he traded odds on there. I thought he was going to do him all the way uh, up until we got to the last where Mighty Potter, you know, put him to bed. But that was a really good run over an adequate trip. You go and have a look at his form last season. If he reproduces his third in this race last year, uh, when when third to L'Ompresse, we should mention is out for the season, um, and Ahoy Senor, I mean, he'll take the world of beating against this lot. You've got to remember, I mean, if you go back and look at the Cheltenham run, the horse that finished seven lengths behind him in fourth was Capadano, who went to Punchestown and run a grade one. So in the context of this year's renewal, his third, his third last year is more than good enough. And, you know, this is a horse who... Finished third in an Irish national of 154. If he, if they go down the three mile route with this horse, I think we're looking at a two to one chance. Um, so if you want to take your chance at the eight, eight, he's currently 9.2 on the exchange. So if you want to back in win only, um, then, you know, that's an option as well on the exchange. But it's all, it's all to do with what price you make him to, to race. If you think he's, um, even money to end up here, then the 9.2 is, is, is maybe the way to go. However, I'd like to have the safety net of a, a money back special. And, you know, we are going to get more bookmakers doing that, including the Sportsbook in, in the weeks to come. Um, yeah, I, I look at this race, James of Burley. I think he, I think they'll go the shorter route. But then again, he finished a good second to Classical Dream over three miles. Um, you know, the real whacker. The one I liked at a massive price, if I knew he was going to go for it. No, we've said that a few times already. It's Thunder oh. Rock. Um um unproven over three miles but no he was i don't know what happened last time but he never got into the race behind uh the real whacker uh, if you have a look at his pedigree there's a lot of stairs in the pedigree lady rebecca etc so depending where if thunder rock turns up in the three miler he'd be the he'd be the, he'd be the one i'd fancy at, uh, i mean he's 40s with a sports book again but okay uh, where he's gonna go but no gayo de Benil, i think he's if he, he comes from this race, I think you're looking at a two-to-one shot. Okay, well, on to the Queen Mother Champion chase, and at least we can talk about some horses that we know are actually going to show up here. Anergamine at the top of the market, eight to eleven. Edward Stone, nine to four, next best. Blue Blue Lord at five to one. Grenatine at sixteens. Editor de G at twenty. Shakan twenty fives. Nube Negra twenty fives. That seems big. Captain Guinness in there. At 40s so really the market is all about the top two in the betting and of course we hope and think we are going to see them in the Clarence House Chase this weekend Ed Nergumin coming to try and win that after the defeat to Shishkin last year taking on Edward Stone he needs to bounce back from the unseated rider incident over Christmas um, a scintillating clash that's going to happen on Saturday and then whatever happens fingers crossed we get to see it all over again at Cheltenham and Nergumin nobody's going to abandon him I don't think um it, you know, he's going to take some beating at Ascot and at Cheltenham Barry. Um, but the young gun, 
Edward Stone? Are we underestimating him at this stage? I wouldn't say underestimating them. No, the market has it about right. If they meet in Ascot, obviously that's going to inform this. He's four to seven in Ergumene and Ascot, uh, five to four, Edward Stone. And there's only one other runner in the race, although there's prize money down to fourth place. That's a bit disappointing. But in Ergumene, he's been there, done it. Obviously, he's defending champion, eight to 11, very short at the moment. Edward Stone looks the only real viable danger because what are they going to do with Blue Lord? Will they keep him to... To the two miles, I don't know, all the talk towards the end of last season, even earlier this year when he won the Clamell Oils, was that it was going to be two and a half miles for, for Blue Lord. Um, you know, Grenatine's definitely going to run it anyway. He's a 16 to one chance yeah. out of the G20. Uh, he's a, a pace angle in it. For me, it's a very, very tricky race. The favourite's a wordy favourite. And if he shows his well-being in Ascot, you know, he's going to shorten at the head of the market, especially if his... If he wins and his immediate victim is Edward Stone, he's going to be a two-on chance or maybe five to two on for this. Yeah, it's a fair assessment. Uh, would you agree with that statement, TC, in terms of what price he could go off, depending on what happens at Ascot on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, if you look at this race, there's 14 in it, um, even at this stage. And obviously, no quibbles with an ergamine, just over evens on the exchange. Edward Stone, yeah. I mean, I only I look at this race and I only can see four possible winners. I mean, obviously, the the, the ones at the top of the market. Uh, Blue Lord, who I've had a very small bet on at eight each way in the race. And I've also backed him a bit heavier at fives and nine to two, non-one and no bet, Blue Lord. But the reason why I've got him more heavily on the non-one and no bet is because he's actually the second favourite for the Ryanair on the exchange. So, and listening to... Um, likes of Anthony Bromley and, and the owners of Blue Lord, you know, they are going to be led by what Willie Mullins does. And they'll, they'll, even if he wins over two miles at the Dublin Racing Festival, it's, it's, that's, you, they're not sure that he's going to go there because if Alaho doesn't go to the Ryanair, then he's got a, a ready-made favourite in, in Blue Lord. So, you know, he's going to be juggling the pack there. I mean, like I said, I see, I see four possible winners on form. Um, and you've got to remember, Grenatine is actually rated 170, and he's actually rated the same horse than the horse of beating the Tingle Creek, Edwardstone, because obviously Grenatine didn't run up to his best there. Um, you know, and you say, you know, his best form's at Sandown, Grenatine, but he finished, you know, fourth or fifth in the Grand Annual, I think. And he also finished a very close up in this race, um, although it was a much weaker renewal uh, in 2021. So, and I can see Grenatine. I, I actually texted Chris Giles yesterday when I was looking at this race and said, you know, what's the current plan? And the current plan is game spirit, but they don't mind going straight to this race if uh, the ground at Newbury for the game spirit is, is, is you know, too testing. And it, and it, that sand down, it did get very bad on the day, didn't it? I mean, it's officially good to soft, but I think it rode a lot softer. So, yeah, I mean, you're looking for a bet at the moment. Uh, maybe Grenadine would be the one each way because, like I said, being aimed for the race, uh, you know it's going to go there all things health for me. That's not the case with Blue Lord, the other each way angle into the race. So, yeah, I can see the case for Grenadine for sure, but okay, but I only be betting for a place. 
loads of the comments you've just said apply to Nube Negra as well, who's at like 25 to 1 versus 16 to 1 Grenatine. Nube Negra, who's got an excellent record at Cheltenham, probably missed his chance to win this race, what was it, two years ago now. Um, But you could see him running another big race. He's obviously been freshened up since the Desert Orchid for this. They put him away. I know that I think he's gone back to the owner and he's having a bit of a freshen up and then he'll go back into training, obviously, with Dan. like, we know he operates at the track. We know he's going to show up. And at 25s, I'm now thinking he probably represents a bit of value if you were to have a bet right now in the race for a horse to run his race and give you a run for his money at a big price. Surely no one's going to be putting people off Nube Negra, are they? Um, obviously, the place part of it is yeah. quite attractive. But I think yeah, the place right. part. I'm not saying he's going to win, sorry. No, I'm, what I'm saying is, I mean, if you have an each-way bet... You, You've got to have some kind of feel that you have got a, a chance of copying on, on, on the wind part because you are, if you're back in each way, you're chucking away a lot lot of your stake. Yeah. Um, I can't see New see Negra winning. Uh, I can see Grenatine, if he runs up to his best, his Sandow best at Cheltenham, okay. I can actually see him, you know, I can actually see him with an outside chance of winning. Um, it's hard to believe he's still only a nine-year-old TC, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like you say, like say though, if he gets kind of like decent ground on the Wednesday, um, and like I said, it comes, you know, his sand down form is, you know, and, you know, we're forgetting he won the Helden. Well, I'm, I'm not forgetting he won the Helden Gold Cup, 168. I, I know people, you know, we made the, you know, people made the mistake with maybe Lon Press is, you know, Newcastle went off 164, but from a form perspective, you've got 176 and ergamine. Uh, is he going to get as testing ground as he got on the day last year? You've got 170 uh, Edwardstone, 170 Grenatine, 167 Blue yeah. Moon, and then the rest. I mean, at a degree, people are putting him up as, as the kind of pace angle in the race, but I had a look at the 14 in there, and seven of the field like to go forward. So, he, you know, he at a degree, if you're, you're backing him because of the Cheltenham record and the pace angle, I mean, he's going to, he could have plenty of attention on the front end. No, I, okay. I, it's a four-runner race for me. And if you want to back Blue Lord each way, non one no bet or Grenatine on the same terms or or 16 to 1 all in, um, I think that's the way into the race. But I think it, it's an ergo means to lose, isn't it? Right, OK. Uh, that was Footsteps to the Festival, guys. We will be covering all these races again in due course, of course, when we build up to the Cheltenham Festival close to the time and we have a better idea of what is running where. Although knowing Willie Mullins, that might not be until the two days before when declarations come out. But anyway, we will endeavour to keep pointing in the direction of a bit of value, hopefully. Um, let's move on to a few of the talking points from the week just gone. Going stick readings, TC. We had a few tweets and questions about this. Obviously, the same old situation, but really focusing in at Kempton at the weekend. We've touched upon it already. Um, kind of keeps coming back to the fact that we live in 2023 and we rely on the old stick in the ground to seemingly to test the going. And people not overly happy with the readings that are being reported or a bit, a bit of the official readings were being given. No, like we touched upon it already about at yeah. Kempton, about you know the, the soft ground description and the going stick reading didn't really didn't really tally and um it was also pointed out at warwick on um on saturday that the going stick reading actually got better even though they got 12 mil overnight so like i know people put a lot of store in them i know other people put no store in them whatsoever um 
but it's probably a, a bit more scientific than Clark walking the course in the in the pitch black at six o'clock and and coming out and saying it. And there, there's no way around, is there? I, mean, I don't know what other courses do. Um, I mean, you 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 listen to people who who uh, who follow French racing, and they just you know it's always given us soft, very soft there, and. You listen to some kind of like French experts and say, no, on that day it was riding on the on the quicker side of goods. So it's just not an England, uh, an English or an Irish problem. It's 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 everywhere. I, I can't see a solution. If there was a solution by now, after God knows how many years we would have had it, but no, we're just going to have to rely on well, rely on guesswork. <laughs> guesswork is and times, times, times. Yeah, that's only retrospective, though, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, that's true. That's the yeah. Issue. That is true. Um, Barry, we've lost another good jockey to America, I see. I didn't even, I, this slightly had um, passed me by a little bit. I've been away plenty of last week. But Tyler Hurd now following in Grace McEntee's footsteps and many other before both of those two heading over to America to try and pick up more rides and ultimately earn a bit more money and have a better way of life over there. We've spoken about the talent drain plenty, but it is just worth flagging up that that's another good one gone. I think Tyler Hurd's a very talented jockey. Yeah, it's it's one of TC. I, I'm sure flagged up on our our WhatsApp group was that you know one of Tyler Hurd's he had a, a, a few uh, bit of data in there to back up why he had gone to the states, and one of them was the amount of hours he spent in the car <laughs> in his life in one year. What was it, TC? Nine hundred and fifty. It was it was eight hundred and fifty or nine hundred and fifty hours, which basically equated to a month. For a twelve-month period of riding, a twelfth 12, of his life in a year was spent in a car. That yeah. is actually mental. Yeah. So, I mean, and, I, and, and he's not going for he's not going for a, a full book of six rides, is it? I mean, honestly, I read that and I was just thought that can't be right. But then you think about it and you think how much they travel, and you know, it's going yeah. up to Newcastle for an all-weather ride. I don't know where he's based. It's you know it's just not only the money it's just the quality of life. If you are if you are spending that much of time and they haven't got a driver, I mean hopefully he's sharing he's sharing some of the driving with somebody. But it's just like mad and you know we touched upon it with with Grace McEntee. It's like I said, it's not only the money, it's that. But but it, it all comes down to a, you know a moan I had last week about you know we should be distributing the prize money a lot better. So these jockeys at the lower end. Are actually getting a, a bigger percentage of a bigger whack. I mean, you've got we mentioned the um the Clarence House stakes on Saturday. You've got 175 grand for that race. Uh and um they're gonna the third horse is gonna get Amaro Sky is gonna get eight over nearly 19 grand for finishing third. There was also good prize money all the way down to six there. And I'm talking, I think there was nine grand for four, etc. <laughs> I mean, these races, I mean. Anergamine's going to turn up for 125 grand. Uh, you know, Edwardstone's 125 grand. It's because it's it's a it's a good stepping stone for them. The prize money is, I know it's horrible to say it, is incidental to a lot of these big owners and trainers. It's kind of like if it feels if it feels the pathway to Cheltenham for their horse, they'll do it. And they don't care if it's 100, 125, 175, or whatever. But it's not a motivator for them, sure. It's not. It's not. And we had it at Kempton on Saturday uh, with the 80 grand for the Silver Arco Conti race, etc. I mean, and the first, all the other races on the card 
which are you know more lower class jockeys as it were not 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 top end or ones who ply their trade at a lower thing you know they're racing for kind of like four five six grand for the winner when you you need getting a six runner race for 80 grand just redistribute the prize money on a big meeting on a tv card a grade run track just redistribute it properly and maybe you know they don't mind traveling for an extra bit of money if they're racing for 15 grand instead of five grand I mean, that their price money of that, you know, whether it be six, seven to seven, eight, ten percent, it does make a big difference to them. Yeah, massively. And I mean, those like numbers, Tyler Hurd's numbers, it is actually mad when you think about it. I was up in Newcastle the other day, and one of the young lads out there, up there, is it Taylor Fisher, I think, had a winner the day that I was there. And then I quickly looked before I interviewed him after the race, and he had one, so we had one ride that day, I think it was, and one ride at Newcastle the following day. So I said to him, oh, in the interview, you know, will you stay up? Like thinking that would be logical. And he was like, no, no, bearing in mind he's based in Lambourne. And he's like, no, no, go back down tonight, back up tomorrow, ride out in the morning. You know, the whole thing. Like it's a way of life that I know it's something that's part of the job. Many people will be listening or saying, well, they know what they're signing up to in England when they, you know, get their license out in terms of traveling. But that doesn't take away from the fact that. That's, that is, that's bloody madness, isn't it? That is, that is that. But Newcastle to Lambham, what's that? Five, six, six hours. I think he got a lift up that day with someone, lift back, and then the following day he was going to do it on his own. But you know, that's a long time in the you know, anyway, it's just yeah. They do it out of love. Worth mentioning just quickly, um, the first race yesterday in Punchestown at 1210 was the Moscow Flyer, was the feature race. And yeah. they ran it at twelve ten. I think taking into account what had happened uh, in Nice a couple of weeks previous, to make sure that the sun wasn't an issue and all the hurls were jumped. So kudos to Punchestown for that. Yeah. yeah, that is impressive. We like that. Do you think it had any? Do you think anyone had any complaints about it being the first race? Obviously, in Ireland, for any English listeners over in Ireland, lots of people don't even get there for the first, do they, Barry? Like it's, no. it's, it's not necessary. <laughs> champion trainer, I don't think has ever seen any of his horses in the first race. Willie Mullins always yeah. lands in as they're gone by the line. Or just soon Maybe after. that's why that's my belief of Ireland. But I remember the amount of times I'm in Ireland down that way, and it's like well, we get up for the first, and everyone's like, no. The Irish don't go early to race meetings. Not like in the UK where they're like they're waiting at the stalls. They're asking questions. What time do the gates open? You know, in Ireland you just rock in five minutes before the first race. Plenty most, of park, and then you go. Most British race goes are wrecked by 10, 10 30 by the time the gates open. Yeah, well, quite, quite. They're asleep by the first. Being that soldier myself. Sure. Yeah. Should we move on to some questions, guys? Because we've got five good ones, which we should give ample time to. Um, the first one is from WRT2, uh, who asks, is there a rule in the sport that would stop a jockey wearing an earpiece to receive instructions during a race? Not in a negative stop a horse sense, thank goodness, but more in an F1 style tactics, uh, an F1 style tactic style. Obviously, they, there must be a rule in place that's, that says that they're not allowed to do that somewhere in the BHA rule book, I am sure. But it is something that I've always thought about in terms of wouldn't that be fascinating if you could have trainers? I think hell, I think it must be a safe. Well, I don't know if it's a safety thing. I don't know what it is, but imagine being able to say to your jockey, 
get some cover, get in, go back, move forward, whatever it might be. Um, it's a fascinating angle, one that I think would be far too modernized for racing to ever get their head around in this country anyway. But I've thought about it too. It's the same thing with, I always like the idea of jockeys being mic'd up in a race. So actually being able to hear what they say. Now it wouldn't be able to be broadcast for obvious reasons, language used in the moment, but it would make for fascinating viewing and listening at a later date. But all these ideas are just ideas at this stage, aren't they, TC? No, I, it was, I thought it was a great question, actually. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, it's, it's, you know, we've all watched Bond films where they're, where they're doing it and things like that. But, you know, you know, Nathan Horrocks and his, you know, jockey head cams and stuff like that, it would be, you know, it would be quite easy to do, I would have thought, uh, if you can put a device in there. And it was, um, yeah, it's quite interesting. That, that question got an answer uh, from somebody and said, he said, he said, I swear when Kieran Fallon was riding, he said, I he said, I I was laying it and laying it, it got up to 28, 29, 30, and then he pressed the go button and I just knew I was in trouble. So yeah, I mean, it would be fascinating to see what trainers would be saying to jockeys. Uh, you know. I wouldn't it really help sell the sport as well if you if you were able to to broadcast that information, what they're saying as the race unfolds in real time. You know, that's one of the great things about Formula One, their data and to try, drive to survive, why it was so successful. You're seeing behind this, you're, you're getting the look behind the wizard's curtain. But just imagine listening to a jockey informing or listening to a trainer or, or somebody on from the stable informing the jockey where his positioning is in the race, what the fractions are, where he needs to be to give the horse an optimal chance optimal chance to win. It would just be, it just takes racing into the 21st you, century. ITV the trainer mic'd up to the jockey and ITV was showing it live. It would be an absolute gold. And, and also the thing is, when you describe it like that, Barry, it wouldn't even have to be necessarily the trainer. You know, if it was like a proper race um, analyst being able to say, you know, calmly in the jockey's ear, they're going very slowly, Connor, they're going very slowly. Do you know, like, as in not just a trainer getting irate and overexcited, an actual, like, analyst being able to give real-time data to a jockey so that they can then give the horse underneath them the best possible ride. Best, the best chance of, of winning, yeah. yeah. It's just great. I, I, I love it. Uh, great question. Well done, RDD2. Yeah, absolutely. Um, On we go, Liam Firkin. Firkin? has asked, Twitter has been throwing up the idea that Mullins has lots of injuries this season, and this is to do with managing the volume he has. I'm sure it is just the same percentage as any other yard. He just has so many more horses, especially good ones in brackets, than others. Which do you think it is? Um, is this a, I, this isn't a notion that I've been sort of been made aware of, TC, I don't think. No, I haven't. I, I asked somebody, uh, I asked not to be named, uh, and they said the horses they've got in Willys, they, the, the percentage that come out is exactly uh, as they would have expected. Um, obviously, you've got some horses falling by the wayside, some horses not out yet. But he said uh, a very healthy percentage, well over. I won't say the exact figure because, like mm -hmm. I said, they were a bit, they were being a bit cagey about me actually replicating what they said. Um, yeah, well, they said no, it's not 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 true. That I think what he's trying to get at, and it's been, it's been referenced before over the years. Willie Mullins's yard is a very hard school for horses. You know, you, it is quite attritional. Uh, he deep gallops, etc. If you get through that that school of hard knocks on the gallops and get to the racetrack, you are primed and ready to run your race. 
you are going to be fit, you're going to be hardy, um, you know, and you know, maybe, you know, maybe they do sort the weak horses out before they get to the track, but maybe no different from 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 any other yards. But like I said, that that Willie Mullins's gallop is quite famed for uh, like sorting out the men from the boys and the, the women from the girls. I hear you. Um, let's move on. Darren Hughes has asked a random enough one. Everyone talks about how point-to-point experience will stand to a horse when they go chasing. How similar are point-to-point fences to regulation fences? Is there the same variety in point-to-point, open ditch, water, etc.? Or are they all the same? Well, over here in the UK, Darren, um, they're all the same and their regulation fences, very, very similar to the rules racing. Um, and so it sort of does remain that the point to point early experience will stand them in good stead when they go chasing. Obviously, they go much slower. They get a big variety of tracks because you're sort of out in the sticks, quite rural. Um, often, you know, you're not taped in or, you know, railed in the whole way. So there's a large expanse from fence to fence and then only a bit of railing when you get there. So it's, it's very very educational for horses um but you know they get the opportunity to run in a race with a good few runners um and go you know and have that experience which i think does stand them in very good stead in fairness but no they wouldn't see a ditch or a water jump or anything like that to my knowledge anyway um at most most point to point oh, same in ireland there's no water jumps or, or ditches in ireland no, no. Like that they're standard regulation fences and look at you your rails a lot of tracks in ireland it's just bales of hay yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, another, there's a lot of those, some of the fences like wheel in and wheel off kind of things as well. Those those poor yeah, they can. They do have the yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Some yeah. tracks, yeah. Some tracks like some tracks like Barbary <laughs> or Edgecut just down the road from me, they will hold a good few point hunts point points over a season. So they're more of like a set track. And then other point points are literally a farmer's field and the fences get wheeled in and then wheeled off again after that one point point has been run. But, um, you know, it is an experience. A little, a little known fact. I was the independence point to point correspondent when I was 21 for a year. Wow. <laughs> wow. Things I did not. point points did you go to? Oh, loads. Um, Likes of Tweezle Down, Charing Cross, that kind of stuff. But... Back then, it was very much for horses retiring from the track as opposed to young horses coming through the way it is in Ireland, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, who was the jockey at the time? Was it um, Philip Schofield? Oh, was yeah. he a jockey as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't go into what I think about Philip Schofield. No, we know um, what you think about Philip Schofield. questions left. Well, and his yeah. wife. No, no, his poor wife. Terrible. We've got a couple more questions left. This one's good. Ryan Turner has asked, I recently set up a syndicate to take on a two-year-old showcasing cult. It's in training in Newmarket, very early days with the horse, but all going well so far. Any pointers on the best track for owner's experience or on race planning in general? Name suggestions welcome to. Well, Ryan Turner, good luck with your showcasing two-year-old this year. It's very exciting for you. In terms of owner's experience, for me, it's the obvious ones. Like you're going to get the best experience of the likes of Newbury and Chester they literally win awards for their race day owner experience and that's yeah that's um justified when you go there I mean no place better than Chester but obviously that's got to be for the right type of horse as for the smaller tracks 
don't know, like get out for a day at Ripon. They look after you, a bit of Yorkshire hospitality. You can't go wrong with that for a syndicate and you'll have a lovely day out. But again, a bit of a niche course for a two-year-old. Um, anyone else? Any suggestions? Ryan, for- win a maiden somewhere and go straight to Royal Ascot. You there get you a good owner's experience there. Yeah, win a maiden <laughs> somewhere and then sell it. Sell, sell, sell. Yeah. I mean, even Royal Ascot, but get the tickets. <laughs> and get the tickets, exactly. What about the and name I, of I it? I tell you what, yeah, yeah. What you should do, Ryan Turner, win a maiden, enter it at Royal Ascot, give it the hype, give it the big hype, get it like some interest, send it to the Goss London sale. You'll have got your owners and trainers tickets before your tra- your owners' tickets, sorry, before that week. So you'll have your tickets in your bag and then get, get it shifted at the sale the night before. So yeah. win, win, win. Don't 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 send it to the geezer who knocked everyone for twenty million though. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and the name the, of the horse I thought, as it's out of Frabjus, absolutely Frabjus. Oh like. yeah, so yeah. Oh, well, I actually checked them. I actually checked the names available as well. Very good, an excellent show. In fairness, my mum is the light one of those women out of Ab Fab. Um, Andy Wilkie has asked just two great British entries for the Dublin Racing Festival running scared of getting pumped off the Irish bumped off the Irish or more fundamental logistical issues getting them over Brexit question mark well it's not Brexit anyway no it's not Brexit and I mean I love that phraseology is it just their fear of getting pumped by the Irish yeah I did wonder what he was yeah you uh, struggled with that for a second. I did, I did. I was like, off. coming back to that absolutely fabulous. I mean, <laughs> those two main characters were total piss tanks. You yeah, it's got a drink problem. No, you've got no problem having drink. a drink since she gave it up. Yeah, no, no, she's got no problem having a drink, and she, yeah, she is like Patsy, I'm afraid. Um, but as <laughs> As for Andy, it's a miracle I've turned out this well, guys, or this badly, whichever way you look at it. Um, as for Andy's question about Dublin Racing Festival, I, d- I would say it's not logistics. I would say it's more running scared of the Irish. Obviously, Paul Nichols took a couple of good chances over last year and got thrashed out of sight for various different reasons and excuses in fairness. But given the fact that they're already going to take a thrashing at Cheltenham, why would you want to go over and have I was that? I trying practice? to think of the two, the way I should have looked beforehand, but I'm pretty sure one's so royale uh one of the two english horses over there okay and i think the only other was it the nigel twiston davis primo novice hurdler the the massive thing we've all been caught oh the Cheltenham one yeah yeah yeah, yeah i think they i think those might be the two i, mean, right. I suppose only so rules going over there because they've got i tell the you they're not sending their horses but they're sending their fans that's for sure i think two and five tickets sold or something or to uk-based customers for leopard sound there's going to be a massive yeah you massive can thank UK me for that Leopardstown. actually you can thank my thank you should be in the post for that because i've really come back from the drf year on year and pumped that as a as the yeah. one to do yeah there's, there's going to be a big uk uh fan base there and they're more than welcome i think aren't ireland playing england as well in the rugby it will be international on that Saturday. On that, that no, evening. I tell you what, um, England, I, I spoke to you actually yesterday and uh, England v Scotland that weekend on the Saturday, I think. Nice. Well, look, guys, that about wraps up this show um, because we have covered all topics and we have kept you for long enough at this stage. We don't want Barry Orr to get cross with us timing wise, specifically as he is on the show with us. Uh, so that's it. 
We're done here. Kevin, I'm sure, will be back with us on Thursday if he makes it back from Bahrain. Uh, Wish him luck, everyone. And we will be back on Thursday with Racing Any Better. But for now, thank you very much, as always, for listening and watching. And have a very good week, everyone.